0: we will praise your name forever. We just thank you so much that you have brought us into this grace that you planned before the foundation of the world. And we thank you now that it's ours to uh, live with and to proclaim. And we just thank you for that. In your son's name, amen. Good morning. Well, I thought what would be more appropriate than to begin a message with... Christmas songs. And there they were. But even, even more than that, um, we're going to be talking about the promise this morning. This The Advent season is meant to sort of bring the hearts of people into consideration about what Christmas means. And so in the old days, it was sort of that month before Christmas to get people to start thinking about it. And there's a reason for that. It's kind of the same reason, in a way, that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We start thinking about Christmas. We start thinking about what this means because some of the things that are so close to us just sort of become, and can become, ritual. Most of the people who celebrate Christmas this year in the entire world do not really truly understand what it means, but they're going to celebrate all the same. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a pause here to tell you about another baby, another birth. And so y'all need to be praying for Justin and Elaine this week, because on Tuesday she's going to go in for a C-section. Is that right? So we're going to be praying like troopers. And somebody here is going to win a prize. They're going to name that baby after you. No. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, joy that a baby's coming into this. Well, so the thing is, talking about the promise. Angels we have heard on high sweetly singing o'er the plains. Two things I want to draw your attention to in that one line alone. Uh, First of all, whoever put this song together understood that there was proclamation having to do with Jesus' birth. There's proclamation having to do with the promise. The other thing is that uh, apparently they didn 't read their Bible very well because it never says the angels sing a great multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared saying, not singing, but it, it sounds better that they sung Hark the herald angels say who 's that over there in the hay no hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king and what i 'm trying to get to here is we do not worship a promise we worship and follow and proclaim the promise, right? And the fact is that in our Christmas songs, we talk about proclamation, and I think one of the things we forget is that if we really are followers of this promise, we need to proclaim. That is the element that we miss. We're going to be looking at that in the text here. But one thing I wanted to mention in this kind of goes together with what T.R. was talking about this morning with regard to uh, breaking of the bread and who Jesus is, being uh, the creator of things. To the church of Laodicea, it's really interesting with all of the churches how Jesus introduces himself. These are his final words, and his final words were to churches. And it says here, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Not that Jesus was created, but before God created anything, knowing what was going to happen, he already put the promise in place. There would be a Savior. And that Savior had a name, and he knew where he would be born. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation of man. The Savior. That person. Amazing. But what's interesting about this is that it's kind of backwards. He says, I'm the Amen. Now, usually we finish up with Amen, right? And then he says, I am the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning of God's creation. That looks all backwards to me, but it's very significant. Because that promise is already established. And that promise in Scripture has already won and we are just those people, if we know Jesus Christ, we get to run and proclaim, because the battle has already been fought and won in the will of God. And that's amazing. You I mean, who doesn't want to play, you know, like John right now, shaking in his boots, waiting to see the Cowboys play. They could lose, although they're playing against the Texans. You know, it's like, ah, oh, give them points. I know there weren't some happy, like J.R., there was a grimace on his face when he, when I said that, but... You don't know that the Cowboys are going to win, right? But we know that Jesus is going to win. It's there. So that means that those who belong to the promise should be proclaiming louder and longer than ever before. And that's an interesting thing here. It says here, the faithful and true witness. Think of what Jesus went through in his life. The promise. Did he ever back down from being faithful and true in his witness? Did he ever restrain his lips? Did the truth ever get clogged up in his throat before it came out of his mouth? He is the faithful and true witness. He did exactly what his father wanted him to do. And I think as children of the promise, boiling all this down to the end, is we have to be as faithful and true in our witness in our proclamation, outside of these doors, as he was in this life. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here right now. So if we belong to him, we have to do that. And the other thing I just want to say is this. This has been impressed upon me more and more. You know, we talk about witnessing, and we say, okay, yeah, what what is that formula? And here's the one from Romans that we don't think about very often. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior and was born in a manger. Oh no, that's not what it says, is it? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord. Not just King, but Lord. That means we have an obligation to obey. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you say you belong to me, and yet I keep telling you what to do, and you won't do it? Why don't? What What is that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he's the victor. He already won. You shall be saved. And I think churches hurt themselves by being all about church and not being about obeying what the Lord said. And the first thing I always think of when I think of that is going to all the world and reach lost people and make them disciples and fill the bushel baskets full of fruit. So, anyway, we have the promise. And the thing is, from the beginning, the promise has gotten sort of mucked up. And we're going to eventually get to um, Isaiah. But it's Isaiah, even the verse in Isaiah is part of a long process. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the promise was first spoken, just like that. God said, the woman will bear a child and he will bruise your head, Satan, but you're just going to nip at his heel. And the thing is, that's when the promise burst into life. And from that point on, mankind, whatever mankind was, there was only two people at that point, they believed and were saved in their faith of God's promise. And God's promise is simply this, a man is going to come and save us. What expectation? You can almost read it in Eve's words. And she says, God has given me a man. She doesn't say, God gave me this little baby. She says, God has given me a man. I think in hope that that man would be the Savior. And he wasn't. When Noah is born, after all of those long years, Lamech holds Noah in his hand and he says, it may be this one who will relieve us from this life. And it kind of was. Because Noah is a figure of the coming deliverer. And what you see then is... Things getting lost progressively as time goes on until you get to Abraham. And God makes another promise of a baby. And He says to Abraham, You're going to have a son. From your seed will come the one who the Gentiles will hope in that will bless all people. And so, again, this promise is revived and it gets lost. You can, you can really see it in Abraham's life. Abraham lived for a long time among the Canaanites. And they knew something about Abraham. They knew that he was being blessed. I don't know what they knew about the promise. But in that community that Abraham lived in, of he had 300 people that were just born in his camp. I mean, he's a little, Abraham was a little city. The people knew that about Abraham. They knew that they were there for a reason. They knew what was going on. But what about Isaac? Hard to see the promise being kept on the front burner with Isaac. Hard to see any proclamation, anything that people knew about Isaac. And then Jacob, it gets worse. Jacob just gets worse. I mean, Jacob sort of believes in the promise, but it's like, yeah, 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 but there's life to live. There's money to be made, there's women to get, there's there's a, a fortune to amass, I don't know exactly what was going through his mind, but you don't see it with him. What you see is a life of maybe a man with faith, but just clouded over with dust from the desert. You don't see anything about his home life that looks like a man who revered the promise. You don't see anything about his family that reflects the promise. You see people lost in their culture. When Simeon and... Levi, murder uh, the people of Shechem. He tells them, we need to go. I need to finally fulfill my vow. We've been in the land for 10 years. I told God that when we got back here, I was going to sacrifice them. we got to go sacrifice right now. Bury your idols. What? Bury your idols? Well, yeah, so you can come back and find them. Right? So nobody loses them. Why not burn them? Well, they buried them. Is that a family reflecting the promise? And I'm just going to stop right here. This is how a lot of church people look. We kind of got the promise. We kind of got the promise. But there's life to be lived. There's programs to watch. There's places to go. There's a fortune to amass. There's work to do. Very little proclamation in the church. I'm not just talking here. I've been around. Today, there's very little proclamation. It's all within these hallowed walls so nobody can hear us. Culture destroys. If we are not actively moving forward with our faith and proclaiming, culture destroys. And look what it did with this. You know, the the thing about this is when Jacob gets, uh, there's a reason why I'm, I'm, talking about all the stuff with Jacob, because one of the promises comes through Jacob. But when Jacob gets in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, tell me about yourself, Jacob says, I've lived 130 years. They have been short in evil. Is that the promise? No, that's Jacob's life as a man of faith. That was the promise. That if you Put me off if you don't make me first. Here's what's going to happen. And look at what happened in his family. He he had, I won't even talk about what he had. It's awful. And the worst trick of all was his sons said that Joseph had been killed. He labored under that for how many years? For at least 22 years believing that he had lost his son. His sons kept that secret from him for 22 years, and when they finally come to him and they say, hey, Joseph's alive, it says his heart revives. Can you imagine living 22 years with a dead heart? That's what happens if you don't live as a person of the promise. And so what happens? He goes to Egypt, and God grants him, about 17 years of seeing grace that he did not deserve. He sees not only that Joseph is alive, but his family is growing and prospering. And the time comes for him to die. And that's what I'm getting to now. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 49. And it's a surprise that only God could have planned as... Jacob is prophesying, actually. And he's giving a blessing on his sons. There's something that pops into his heart and his mouth, probably that he hadn't actually foreseen, but it's there. And when you get to the promise to Judah, you look at verse 8. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's sons shall bow down to you. Where is that coming from? I bet they were all surprised. And then look at verse 10. Here's the promise again. Coming up at the end of this man's life. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him to whom it shall be, and... The obedience of the peoples will be his, and that word obedience is an interesting word because the thing is when the writers of the Septuagint, the Greek New Testament, when they wrote that they, they saw a different root there it isn 't just obedience but it 's the expectation it 's the anticipation it 's the hope well that 's what you do with a promise. You anticipate it. You, you expect it. You live, you know, like, like somebody promises you something big, you know, like, like if Roy were to promise Davis a car for Christmas, well, he'd be, he would be a very happy young man. I hope. Yeah, it depends on the car, right? Anyway, the point being is that there's anticipation. There's, there's joy. There's, there's hopping up and down. There's all that kind of thing. And that's the word they use. The expectation. The hope of the Gentiles will be in him. That goes right back to Abraham. What a funny thing that at the end of this man's life, his heart is not only revived, but God speaks to him and says, the promise is still valid. The promise is coming. The the history of Israel then, what does that look like? So they, they go through this. God saves them through Moses. This looks good when God saves them through Moses. Very godly generation built upon the promise. But as soon as they get into the land, if you read the book of Judges, it all goes downhill. It is lost. The, the anticipation, the following of the promise is lost almost over, overnight. Those last two, two stories... At the end of Judges are actually the first two stories chronologically. They go apostate spiritually, the tribe of Dan, with Moses' grandson involved in that. And then they go apostate morally, a whole town giving themselves to sexual perversion and homosexuality. And who is there to help them? Phineas. He's the guy in the book of Judges. Uh Joshua and in the, uh, the Pentateuch. The point being is that they lost it right away. Where does it pop up again? It pops up with David. Now, this is important. This is, this is us getting slowly to Isaiah, okay? It pops up with David, where God promises David that he will have a son who will reign on the throne Forever. That is the promise that God makes to David. And the thing is, to David's credit, he does proclaim. But he gets lost too, doesn't he? He gets lost in a bad situation and he barely recovers. And then his son Solomon takes over. Here's what I want you to see about the history of Israel as a combined nation, a unified nation glorifying God, less than 80 years. Fewer than 80 years. David reigned for 40 years, but part of that got mucked up. Solomon reigned for 40 years, but part of that got mucked up. He became an idolater at the end of his life. The promise is there with David. And again, it goes under. And Israel starts to fall. And Israel starts to fall. This thing that God had built up through David like a tree gets cut down at Solomon. You realize that Solomon was a man of faith. God makes an eternal promise through Solomon, but you realize that Solomon also became an idolater. Solomon is cut out of the line of Jesus. Well, you say, yeah, I see his name in Matthew. That's right. Matthew is the legal genealogy of Jesus through Joseph, but Joseph wasn't a blood relative of Jesus. Mary was. And Mary doesn't go through Solomon at all. She goes through... Solomon's a brother, Nathan, to David, to Jesse. The promise can get lost. I guess that's what I'm trying to show you in all this. The promise gets lost, and I would venture to say that in Christianity today, the promise is lost for the most part because I think you only see the promise through proclamation. Now, our verse for today is Isaiah. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, understand this when you read that. The stump of Jesse. The tree has been cut down. The tree destroyed itself. David helped destroy that. Solomon did the final work of hatcheting it up. There was no longer united Israel after Solomon. The stump All that remains of the promise to David is a stump. How is God going to bring anything through this line? And it says, then, there shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You thought it was dead? It's not dead. See, in Isaiah's day, they had already gone through several bad kings. In Isaiah's day, it could be at the time that he's writing this, I'm not exactly sure when this is, but they could see that the Assyrians were going to take the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had been ungodly forever. Where's the promise in that? They're gone. Where is the promise here? Is it in a godly king? Hezekiah's dad was awful. Hezekiah's dad was a king of Judah, but he was an awful man. He had no faith, he had no godliness, he had no nothing. Where was the promise? And so he says to Isaiah, it only looks like a stump, but I'm going to bring a shoot out of it. And then something very interesting here, he says, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now see, we know this Christmas story so far, so so good, we can just jump right over that. But what's so interesting is this, I I get excited about this one. It says, Anasar, from his roots, shall break forth. From his roots, Anasar will come and bear fruit. Anasar, that's the Hebrew word there. I know, right? The Hebrew word, I'm just trying to impress you with my Hebrew. A Nassar from his roots will bear fruit. A Nassar. It's really interesting, isn't it, that Jesus grew up in Nassaret, the place of the branch. He grew up in Nassaret. When you heard Jesus' name, you heard Jesus the branch. You know how we have George Bush? We're thinking about going to his Museum of Genesia. here. We don't even think of bushes when we think of George the Bush, do we? Back then, if you were a person of faith, you heard Jesus the branch. That's amazing. And he's going to bear fruit. How is he going to bear fruit? By being a true and faithful witness. Jesus, the true and faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of kings on earth, that's also from Revelation. So this is the promise. Jesus would bear fruit. It wasn't, he's trying, he's telling Isaiah, and Isaiah's telling the people, the promise isn't over yet. The branch will come, and he will bear fruit. I always think that that's so interesting that the Pharisees say, they, they go after Nicodemus and say, are you from Galilee too, are you some kind of hick from the north? Look in your Bible and see, no prophet will come from Galilee. Oh, guys, you should read your Bible before you say things like that. The branch, the Nazar, Jesus from Nazareth, would come and bear fruit, and he did. So, in all of this, it seems like there needs to be proclamation, there needs to be a shout out of joy every day. You you read Paul in First Corinthians. He said, "For Christ our Paschal Lamb has been so, been um, sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival." He's saying every day, since Christ has been sacrificed, let us celebrate every day. Every day, having something to tell people. That the promise has come, the promise has been fulfilled. How will they know if we don't do it? You know, um, in the children's work, we were uh, doing, I, we are uh, doing Psalm 40. And see, this came from David. I, I just want to show you how true this is, though, and what a price or a, a value God puts on it. Um, so we're reading, we're reading this, and uh, it's David talking. Uh, I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see the proclamation and all that. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not go after the proud, those who run astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, your God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I proclaim and tell of them, but they're more than can be told. Now here's us, good church people. In sacrifice and offering, you have not desired, but you've given me an open ear. In Hebrews, it's Jesus when this is used to Jesus, it says, you've given me a body. You've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required, people. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do any of that stuff. What he gives you is different. And the thing is, what's so interesting to me, is, given me an open ear. How that When the cloud came over at the transfiguration, when the cloud came over... Peter, James, and John, what did God say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. I say that as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Listen to Him. That's not God. But the point being is that it's so important to listen to Him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I ask you to do? And He wants us to proclaim. He wants us to proclaim. So then we get to Luke chapter 2. I mean, how can you preach a Christmas message without going to Luke 2, right? And in Luke 2, 25, we get introduced to a guy named Simeon, a man full of the Holy Spirit, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he goes up into the temple. At that point, Mary and Joseph bring the child into the temple to dedicate him. Simeon sees him. He picks him up in his arms. And this is going to go all the way back to what Jacob said. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, do not dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, all the nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel wow he proclaimed it and then Anna is right behind him and she is giving thanks to God and speaking of him to everyone who walks into the temple area Amazing. So then, kind of to conclude, but talking about the promise again, Jesus, right at the end of Revelation, verse 16, he says, for chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Now, Do you get the irony in what he just said? I am the root and the descendant of David? No, wait a minute. How can you be both? You are the root out of which David grew, but you're also his descendant? God become man. The root of David, the root of the promise was already there before the first Adam was created. And that Savior was already designated. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the Son of Man. The One who was sitting at the right hand of Father. He is one. And He's coming and He's telling us that there. I've sent my angel to tell you what's about to happen. Go out and shout it out but I'm also that human person who is descended from David. I mean, he's a like, what do you call it? A uh, full-service Messiah. He not only takes care of the beginning, but he takes care of the end, so everything in between is guaranteed, and we can just go wild. And, you know, the thing I just want to leave you with uh, in this is this. We have to bear fruit. You know, there's a um, a church can do a million things, and, and a lot of churches do a million things, but there really is only one thing that's necessary. Mary found out what it was. Sitting at Jesus's feet, she could not miss what he was saying. And somehow, in all of everything that Jesus said, it's going to all the world and reach lost people and make disciples of them, bear fruit. And this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you don't bear fruit, there's a possibility you've lost your way. I would say a great possibility. There is nothing wrong with the promise. There is nothing wrong with the power of Jesus. If it doesn't bear fruit, it's on us. And therefore, we work together, and we strive together. And you know, in the, the movie Patriot, I probably referred to this before, there's this little thing that Mel Gibson says, and it is so true of this. Aim small, miss small. He's telling his son, if you aim at a man, you'll miss a man. But if you aim at his button, you might miss the button, but you won't miss the man. And if we aim at bearing fruit for Jesus Christ, we will never Miss. He promises that to us. And we say, but we're the people of the promise. And I, I, I like Psalm 40. I have not restrained my lips, as you know, oh Lord. You know what restraining your know Why restrain our lips? So, as a good Dallas seminary preacher, I'm going to end this with a poem. Three points in a poem. There were three points in there somewhere, but I'm going to end it with a poem. It's not a Christmas poem, but it kind of is. It goes like this Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep o'er the erring one. Do we weep for anybody anymore? When Josiah heard the word of God and he heard what was coming against Judah, he wept. And God said, because you humbled yourself and wept. Maybe we don't weep because we're not humble. Weep or the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Though there are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive Plead with them earnestly. Plead with them gently. You know, in order to do that, you've got to spend time with people. This isn't handing somebody 20 bucks out of your car window when you have to stop for the red light and there's a guy standing there. This is actually getting involved in someone's life. Jesus said that the ground that bore fruit brought fruit, brought forth fruit with Patience. That means allowing our clean little lives to get all dirtied up sitting next to someone. Plead with them earnestly. Plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. I like this one. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Don't we believe that? We do. I believe that. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Do we want to touch Unsaved people? And tell them about the promise? Jesus put his hand, the word in the Greek gives the impression of his entire hand, on a leper. We don't like it when somebody comes in the foyer and asks for money. Much less spend time with them. What in the world is wrong with the people of the promise? Maybe we're not so much people of the promise. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. That all takes time. Chords that are broken will vibrate once more. And I think I'm at a place in my life where I'm seeing that happen right now. Rescue the perishing duty demands it. Strength for your labor the Lord will provide. What happened to being clothed with power from on high? Well, I don't believe in that theologically. Too bad, because that's what God promises. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit came after Pentecost. Be filled with the Spirit. Why don't we have the power? Because we don't want it. We don't want it to inconvenience ourselves. We don't have the time for it. We don't want to spend time with people. And therefore, we don't have the power, and we know so very little about the Holy Spirit. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. You have to take that by faith. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. The promise has been fulfilled. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. The promise has been fulfilled. The Savior has died and risen from the dead. What an incredible message. I mean, if you did nothing else but just run out and say, God loves you, people would be blessed and there would be fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Every one of us is undeserving. Every one of us is, oh, when measured to your perfection, what would we say? We are just dirty and blind and naked and poor and we think we got it all and we don't have any of it. We don't have the humility to say how needy we are. Yet, in that desperation, those who are desperate find grace. Those who cry out find a savior. Those who desire find a captain, a lord, Uh, someone to guide us, someone to help us. And if that isn't what we need in our world right now, I don't know what we need. We need a bright and morning star. We need something to look at. And people don't even know where to look. And we know it. So I would pray to you that you would allow your love to flow over us like an ocean. It says the Holy Spirit pours your love into our hearts. Allow us to be flooded with the love of the Spirit, and to realize how greatly we have been blessed. We are being deluged daily with an ocean of Christ's love to us. In the end has already been written from the beginning, and so as we allow that love to flow through us, there are no coincidences. The people that we bump into in life, life, whether they're our neighbors or the people around us, these are people that you've brought into our range of vision to tell them about Christ. Help us to love them. Help us to love our Lord, to be overcome by his love, but to love other people. To tell them about this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful promise that you have nurtured and preserved and blessed all through this history because it's Jesus. And now he sits on his throne, and it says, when the disciples went out, Jesus went with him, confirming the word through the signs that attended it. Would we be any different if we are willing to risk everything for you in reaching out to a neighbor or reaching out to a lost person? Of course we're not. We will see the unfolding of your power. We will see the mighty, saving glory and wonder and love of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Christmas blessing. Help us to give that to others around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.